0: So as we've been saying, the whole book of Hebrews is really this whole theme of Jesus is better. That that's though these Hebrew Christians who, who are being written to were tempted to walk away from Jesus because of the persecution they were experiencing because of their faith in Jesus, the authors say, no, listen, I know what you're tempted to go back to, but you need to know everything you're tempted to go back to, Jesus is better. And so we're getting to the last section of the book. This from verse 19 of chapter 10 kind of onward kind of begins this last section of the book where, where the author is wanting to write about what it looks like to endure by faith. He's been calling them, he's been trying to show them, here's the reason why you should should keep going. Here's why you shouldn't turn away from Jesus. Here's why Jesus is better than all these things you might want to turn back to. And now he's going to start saying, okay, now therefore, this is what your life should look like. And it really kind of circles around, it begins to kind of sort of find its crescendo in that section in verse 38, that, that, that phrase in verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. And the author is quoting Habakkuk chapter 2. And if that sounds familiar, it's because Paul the Apostle also based two books in the New Testament on that one verse, Habakkuk uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, The just shall live by faith. The book of Galatians is based on that verse. The book of Romans is based on that verse. And here the author of Hebrews is also really wanting to base what he's saying on that verse. This idea that God has spoken, that God has made His will known, and we are called to now live by faith in that. And so what we want to talk about today is really, what do we mean by endurance? And how does Jesus motivate a better endurance? What's this this kind of endurance that He gives to us? And i got to say right off the top, endurance is not one of my favorite subjects because I'm not really an endurance guy. Even when it comes to, like, sports, okay? I'm not into endurance sports. I absolutely hate to run. Hate it. Can't stand it. Don't mind running if we're playing a game, but just to run to run, can't stand it. Swimming, fine if I have to paddle hard to catch a wave on a surfboard, fine, but swim to swim, ah, don't like it. Biking, yeah, if I'm running up and down mountains or jumping off logs, that's cool, but just to ride, mm. just endurance for the sake of endurance, don't like it. It's not my thing. I just don't want to do it. And that's the thing about endurance. Endurance is usually not very pleasant. When you have to endure, you need to have a motivation other than the very thing that you're doing. There has to be a reason to keep going. And so when we're talking about the Christian faith, when we're talking about what it means to endure, we we need to know what our motivation is meant to be. And this is what the author wants to talk about this morning. So if we pick it up in verse 19, he says, therefore, he's kind of going to sum up and just two or three verses here, all that he said previously in the book of Hebrews. He says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Boldness, having complete confidence, having courage, having no hesitation to go right into the presence of God. Why? That's what he means by the holiest, right into the very presence of God. What gives us the courage to be able to approach God like that? The blood of Jesus. He calls it in verse 20 a new and living way as opposed to an old and dead way. It's continuously alive, it's new, it's fresh. It's, it's what He's consecrated or set apart for us. And notice it says in verse, in verse 20, it says that we go through the veil, that is His flesh. And you guys remember uh, a few chapters back where we were talking about the tabernacle of God. That, that, that sense that God had established in the wilderness for the people of Israel to meet him in. And there was that veil between the holy place and the holiest of holies where God himself would dwell. And only the high priest could go in once, uh, once a year. And so really nobody got to really experience the very presence of God that way. Definitely not the common people didn't get to experience the presence of God. And here the author is saying, don't you get it? All that we've been saying so far is this. You can go right in to the presence of God, there's no hesitation whatsoever. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I am, am just constantly being blown away by that because even though I've known this in my head, it's so clear to me in my head that I can go right before God, there's something about me that hesitates to go right before God. I, I'm slow to kind of just talk to God as if I'm talking to one of you. I'm slow to just actually believe that I actually have His 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 attention i was thinking this morning walking into the building getting ready to go to prayer in the morning i was thinking about just the the need to pray and the need to see god move and i had this sense i was just kind of feeling like i need to go pray because i need to convince god to do something and i I had this almost sense of like god's unwilling and i have to somehow overcome god's reluctance do you realize that's a lie (laughs) there's no reluctance in god for us to approach Him. And you know why there's no reluctance? You know why there's no hesitation for God to meet us? Because of Jesus. And only because of Jesus. Now, he says, because we have all this, he says in verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let's get close to God. Now, we're talking about endurance. And I think the thing that w- w- you have to understand, in fact, this is the first thing I really want you to understand, is that endurance develops with relationship. H- have you seen that in real life? You know, you, you have a friend that you meet, and you really hit it off with that person. You just get to know them. You do some fun things together, and you think, oh, this is really good. But then that friendship gets rocky for some reason. They say something you don't like, or they do something you don't appreciate, or you misunderstand something they said or did. And the relationship gets rocky, but what happens? You endure in that relationship, and what, the, what the, happens to that relationship? It gets stronger. So the next time you hit a rocky place, you're more motivated to endure because of that relationship. There's something about relationships that, that actually demand endurance, but also produce Endurance. That when we're in these relationships, we know we have to press on because the thing that we have is valuable. And in a very real sense, this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, Listen, I know you're tempted to walk away from Jesus because of all the things that you're going through, but don't you realize He is your guarantee of a relationship with God? Do you realize what you're giving up if you don't endure? You're giving up this friendship with God. No, instead, be motivated to draw close to him because being close to him is what's going to motivate you to endure. It's how your endurance is going to develop. So this, this endurance is developed with relationships. It's with the relationships that are with God through Jesus alone, but also, listen, through faith as individuals. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, when he talks about a true heart, he's talking about something that can only be expressed by an individual. So the the, the thing is this, a a true heart would be this, a sincerity that nobody knows but you and God. One one Bible scholar put it this way, it's us grasping on to the full benefits of sonship. It's us kind of going to God, recognizing I have every privilege as a child of God. Now the thing is, I can teach you that and we can all say, oh yeah, that sounds good, that's deep theological, good truth. But only you as an individual, only I as an individual can actually approach God with that heart. See, the thing is, we can draw near to God together. So I can draw near to God with you, but I can't draw near to God for you. I can believe God for you in the sense of I can believe that He wants to work in you. I can trust Him that I'm praying that He would do something and I believe that He would do that. But I can't believe for you. My faith cannot substitute your faith. My true heart can't substitute your true heart. Your true heart can't substitute my true heart. Each of us as individuals has to say, okay, I want to draw close to God because I believe I've been made a son through Jesus. Do You understand what I'm saying? This is important because the reality is even though the Scripture really emphasizes the corporate over the individual, the Scripture really emphasizes that, that we have an identity as a people together, It calls us to a faith that has to be expressed as an individual. You have to choose to trust God. I can't choose that for you. Your parents can't choose that for you. Your children can't choose that for you. you got to decide that you want to be close to God. Hey, you might have a spouse that really wants to be close to Jesus, and you might say, okay, therefore I'll pray with my spouse because I want to support my spouse. But just because you're praying with your spouse who wants to be close to Jesus doesn't mean you're drawing close to Jesus. Are you following me? I'm saying this not to condemn you. I'm saying this to say, do you recognize that that God's calling us to a real relationship? The whole reason God created you is to give you the benefit of knowing Him, to give you the privilege of having a relationship with Him, you as an individual. Does that blow you away? Have you ever had a situation where you recognize somebody and so you try to get their attention, hey, you know, look, it's whoever, some famous person or some popular person at school. And you go to them and say, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. And they're like, hey, yeah. And they, you can tell they have no idea who you are. <laughs> I have I've had that experience many times. And it's, 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 a, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it, where you think, I know that person. And they have no idea who I am. And it, usually when that happens, I kind of realize, well, yeah, okay, well, I'm not really that worth knowing, so no big deal. Have you ever thought about this, that the fact that the creator of the universe doesn't just know about you, but He desires to know you. He wants you close to Him. He calls us by name. Have you ever noticed how many times in the Gospels where Jesus said someone's name twice? You know? Yeah, exactly. Martha, Martha, or Peter, Peter, whatever the case would be. Do you know why He did that? It was a way that the Jews showed intimacy. When you said a person's name twice, it showed that you really knew them well. Jesus calls us by name. He wants to know us this way. God wants to know us this way. Therefore, the author is saying, well, then let's draw near with that full assurance that we, he wants us to be close to him. That's why he says, let's have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We talked about that in previous uh, weeks. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses away our guilty conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water. This is the reality that, hey, if you publicly confessed Christ through baptism, have confidence that that public confession was true and legitimate and sincere. He says in verse 23, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. See, guys, what God's calling us to believe, what he's calling us to have faith in is not our faith. God's not saying, believe, just believe. Your faith is enough. Your faith is enough. Believe in your faith. No, that's rubbish. He's calling you to believe in his faithfulness. That that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. When I was praying this morning, uh, I don't know what it is about Sunday mornings, but I'm always like in a really rubbish mood when I wake up first thing on a Sunday morning. And there's this battle that goes on. I think it's just the enemy hates what I'm going to do. And there's this battle going on. And I found that the only way I get through that is just to be painfully honest with God. God, I don't want to do this. I want to do this, 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 and this. And when I'm verbalizing that to God and just coming to God, my faith is growing. You know, my faith is growing because God never says, Oh, get away from me. Never. He never rejects me because the only reason I can even approach Him and be that honest with Him is because I'm in Christ. I can draw near to Him with a full assurance of faith. I can grasp. On all the benefits of sonship because I made a son through faith in Jesus. This is what God's calling you to. This is, this is what we call you to on a weekly basis when we say, if you don't know Jesus, today's the day. God's calling you to put your faith in Him. Not in servant's church, not in some idea. In Him, to draw near to Him. Now, this endurance that develops with the relationship, though, it is through faith as individuals, but it's also through commitment as a group. Look what he says in verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The word stir up means to provoke. It it means what it sounds like. It's like to poke your sister with a stick. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Uh. My kids like to provoke each other. To be fair, I like to provoke my kids way more than they (laughs) they provoke each other. i am always kind of poking at them, teasing. I'm really bad. I'm really cheeky. I was, as many of you know, I was speaking at this uh, Oak Hall holiday thing last week, and there was a girl there from Northern Ireland, and I always tease Frankie about his accent. So all week I was teasing this girl, Heather, oh, Heather, how are you doing? Has you got something wrong with butter? Just all week. (laughs) And she was like, oh, you're cheeky, aren't you? But it was great fun. I just I like to provoke. I have to admit, I just it's just fun to kind of poke. But the truth is, when it comes to love, when it comes to actually doing good, you know what the, the reality is? We need to be provoked, because when it comes to love, we're lazy. When it comes to good works, well, we'd rather not. We need to be provoked, and we need to provoke one another. That's why he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, which some people do, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The more we see that Jesus must be coming soon and very soon, the more we should be saying we need to be with each other to provoke each other. Let me just say this. This is more than just showing up at church. This is why we have a break between worship and worship. In the word, This is why we say the time for teas and coffees is worship expressed horizontally. And this is why I will call you until the day I die to come to church, not just showing up, but showing up prepared to be stirred up and to stir one another up. We will protect that 20, 25 minutes on a Sunday morning to make sure that you have opportunity. And we will continue to call you to do this. You know why? Because you're not going to endure without it. When I was in Switzerland last week, we, we climbed the third highest peak in the area we were. I know it doesn't sound very impressive, does it? It was only like 100 a, a meters less than the highest peak, but it was just the thing where we had a very limited time. It was the last day. And we did this. We went from uh, 2,000 meters to 2,600 meters in two hours and 15 minutes. That's not too bad. We made some time. I got blisters to prove it on the bottom of my feet. But I'll tell you what, um, the first part was pretty easy, but once we got to the really steep, the shale that's really loose and hard to walk in, and you just calves, feel like they're going to explode because it's so steep. At that time, I would have easily stopped if I was by myself. I would have thought, the view's good enough from here, I don't want to go any higher. But because I was two, two younger guys and I have a lot of pride and I wanted to kind of make sure that I could <laughs> keep with well them, I, I didn't give up. And as we were talking about it, I, I, we got to the sort of the top right before we had a... We a place where we had to climb rock, which was a bit trickier, and we were just jelly-legged, and we thought, we got to stop and have a sandwich. So we stopped and have a sandwich. And right before we went up uh, the hill, I said, man, I would have quit. And they both said the same thing, man, yeah, I would have quit too. <laughs> there's no way I would have done this if I was by myself. Isn't that true about life? It's so true. We, we don't endure unless there's someone else pushing us to endure. I work out about twice a week. I think I work out pretty hard, but then about four weeks ago, I worked out with a, a friend of mine, a guy named Joel Callow, who runs Friends International. Great ministry if you want to get involved with Friends International. There's a plug, Joel. You're welcome. And we worked out together, and he's actually a lot smaller than me, but I've never, I haven't lifted that hard in like six years. I mean, he was just like, I've got to beat this guy. I'm just, and he's spotting me, so I know I'm not going to drop the weight on my head and kill myself, you know, and just really pushing it hard. We need this. We need that one another provocation. We are not going to endure unless we have relationships that we're committed to. Guys, seriously, if you're part of Servants Church, do you know people here? I don't mean just know their name. I mean, do you know them? Do you know about them? Do you know what they struggle with? Do you know what they're tempted with? Do you know what their dreams are? Do you know what their gifts are? Do they know you like that? Because this is what we're talking about. Endurance is developed through relationships. Yeah, with God through Jesus first and foremost. Yeah, through faith as individuals. We can't believe for you, but also through commitment as a group. This is how endurance is going to develop. This is what the author is talking about. Now, it gets into the sober bit, verse 26. Because endurance does develop with relationships, but what happens if we don't endure? Look at verse 26. He says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And there's a couple of verses that you don't usually put in a congratulations card. It's pretty sobering stuff, isn't it? And and, and I and I I want it. I don't, wanna, I don't want it to lose its edge. I have no doubt that the author meant that to be sobering. We have to read verses like this, guys. We can't ignore them, and we have to ask ourselves, okay, what does the Scripture mean by sinning willfully? I mean, literally, it simply means to sin on purpose. I want to do this. Now, without showing a raise, showing a... A show of hands or acknowledging publicly i don't want to embarrass anybody i wonder how many of us would say this week i chose to sin not just i kind of messed up lost my temper whatever but i knew i was tempted to do something i thought i shouldn't do that but i don't care i'm going to do it anyway i wonder how many of us would say we did that because if that's what sinning willfully is i want you to think about how sobering this is if we sin willfully it says after we've received all the truth, in other words, when we know better, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. All that remains is a certain fearful expectation of judgment. That's heavy, isn't it? Now, I don't think to sin willfully is, is, I don't think you can equate that to sinning frequently. I don't think it's the same thing. Because I think when I ask that question, every single one of us in the room would probably say, yep, this week I, I did. I sinned. I chose to sin. I rebelled against God and did something I knew I shouldn't do or didn't do something I knew I should do. That's equally sin. So what is it? Well, we'll get into what it is in a second, but I want to read to you guys some verses from Romans chapter 7. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I know these well, the New King King James Translation, but I wanted to read a different version so it's fresher. This is Paul, I believe, the Apostle Paul, writing from the perspective of a believer trying to relate to God through the law, trying to relate to God through his own deeds. So here's what he says. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me for I am all too human a slave to sin I don't really understand myself for I, I want to do what is right but I don't do it instead I do what I hate but if I know that I am doing well, I'm sorry but if I know that what I am doing is wrong this shows that I agree with the law is good so I'm not the one doing the wrong it's the sin living in me that does it and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature I want to do what is right but I can't I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Paul is talking about in Romans 7. Here's what happens when we try to live the Christian life in our own strength, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not saying this is what we have to experience. We don't have to live in Romans 7. I want to be clear about that. But it does at least demonstrate that even as a believer in Jesus, you can be in this pattern of, I keep sinning over and over again. So sinning, you can, in other words, you can still find yourself sinning frequently. So sinning frequently cannot be the same thing as sinning willfully. Are you guys following me on that? So what is it then? Look at verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 10. The author uses an Old Testament illustration, he says, if anyone has rejected Moses' law without mercy, that he dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, the, the law of Moses is clear. If they reject what God, what, what God has said, if they rebel against God's law, and there's two or three witnesses, say we saw that person rebel against God's law, then it was capital punishment. They were to die. That's it. Done. Now, you would think he might go, but this is the New Testament. God's so much nicer now. No, that's not what he says. Look what he says. Verse 29, how much wor- of, of how much worse punishment you bes- do you suppose uh, he will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, literally, counted in the blood of covenant, the holy covenant, unholy, and insulted the Spirit of grace. Now, here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, listen, there was this old covenant that Moses brought to God's people, and if they rejected that covenant, they were condemned for it. He's saying, how much worse if you reject this covenant? So the idea here of sinning willfully is basically saying, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Listen listen to the kind of the way he describes it. He says trampling the Son of God underfoot. Now, obviously, none of us literally are going to do that because Jesus is in heaven. It means devaluing, treating who he is as less than he is. It's, it's refusing to acknowledge, listen, the uniqueness of God or Jesus' sonship, that Jesus is uniquely God the Son. You're going, ah, whatever, he's just a guy. He's just a really great teacher. That's what this is. Especially after you know, you know better. It's, listen, it's counting the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified a common thing, calling the holy sacrifice of Jesus unholy. Oh, it was a crime that Jesus was crucified. He didn't deserve to die by the Romans, but come on, it wasn't holy. It wasn't the work of God. It's, listen, insulting the spirit of grace. Do you realize if you have an understanding, follow me on this, listen, if you have an understanding that Jesus Christ is God's only Son. Listen, and you have an understanding that He died for your sins, and you have an understanding that He rose from the dead. If you get that information, if you've understood that to be what the Bible says, that is an indication that the Holy Spirit has worked in you. Through people, no doubt, but the Holy Spirit has worked in you. To insult the Spirit of grace is say, I don't believe it anyway. To sin willfully, listen, is to reject His covenant, is to reject His offer of peace, is to reject His offer to save you. That's what the the author's trying to say. The author's trying to make really clear about this. He's saying, listen, to not endure is to, to reject His covenant because the same Spirit that opens our eyes to who Jesus is and our need for Him, that same Spirit, He comes to live in us when we're born again. And He gives us the power to endure. So to refuse to endure is to say, no, nah, I don't want that. I don't want Jesus. Now, you know, if this, isn't, this gets even more sober because he says in verse 30, we, for we know Him who said... This is the author saying, listen, we're Hebrews. We have God's Word. We know that God said this, and he's quoting Deuteronomy. We know God said this. God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God said the Lord will judge His people, and he's being clear, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, we have to understand this, guys. We, we, can't, we can't try to soften this. Jesus didn't soften this. He made it so clear. Jesus himself says in John chapter 3 He who does not believe is condemned already, already under judgment. Do you understand this? This is our natural state apart from Jesus. We are lost. We are worthy of God's judgment. The author of Hebrews is not saying, the Scripture does not teach, God's going to judge you for rejecting Jesus. That's just one of the sins he's going to judge you for. The scary thing about rejecting Jesus is you have no way to be forgiven if you reject him. Who else is going to take your punishment? Who else is going to absorb your sin and your offense? And so the author is saying, listen, guys, if you don't want to endure, if you're going, no, sorry, Jesus isn't worth this, eternal life isn't worth this, do you recognize what the option is? Do you recognize what's going to happen? Listen to this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, Jesus will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I know some of you are wishing that we didn't have to talk about this stuff. If I'm honest, sometimes I wish I didn't have to talk about this stuff. But it's it's not just... (laughs) It's not just important that we understand what Jesus is saving us to. We also have to understand what he saved us from. You need to see, okay, you are, you are a human being swimming in a sea that's a cesspool full of ravenous sharks who want to devour you, and want to see you torn apart, who will kill you. And God is not saying... Believe in Jesus or I'm going to pollute the ocean. Believe in Jesus or I'm going to send the sharks. He's saying, you are already there. To believe in Jesus is to take the life preserver and get pulled out of there. Do you understand that? This is what, he's, this is what He offers us. This is what we're called to offer others. God loves us. He wants to save us from that pit. And the author is saying, listen... If you refuse to endure, if you refuse to draw near, if you say, no, sorry, this Jesus stuff, Jesus himself isn't worth it. He's not worth how difficult it is to follow him on this earth. If you think that, then what's left? All that's left for you is to stay in that cesspool, shark-infested, horrible place that's going to only bring eternal death. It doesn't make me happy to share this, But we need to know it. Now, what's amazing to me, and this is what we saw, remember back in Hebrews chapter 6, is that the author says these things not because he's trying to guilt them into something, but he's trying to get them to remember what they already know. Look look what he says in verse 32. He says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, that's you understood the gospel, that you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully uh, accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you had a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So the author talks about their past. He goes, remember when you first heard the gospel and you believed. Remember, I was in prison. Now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some people think it's Paul, but we don't know for sure. So we don't know the circumstances by which he's talking about, okay? But here's what we do know, just from the text. We know that in the past, that these Hebrew believers demonstrated their faith by showing compassion to people suffering, even though they themselves were suffering. And the authors wanted to say, do you you remember what you used to show? Remember remember when you saw me suffering, what you did? This idea that having their goods plundered, we don't know if that means they were persecuted, therefore they had their things taken from them because they were Christians, or it could be that they voluntarily gave up all their stuff to try to get this person out of prison, or at least to support them while they are in prison. The issue was this, they saw suffering and they thought, man, Jesus suffered for us because He had compassion on us. We have compassion on this person suffering. We want to help this person, and He's saying to them, "Was that not evidence of God's work in you?" He's basically saying, "Don't give that up." He goes on to their presence. He says in verse thirty-five: Therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great rewards. Look, you did this. You showed the compassion to suffering people even when you yourself were suffering because of what God has shown you in Christ. Don't chuck that aside. He says, verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Then he quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. Interesting. In verse 37... He, he kind of, this is what we see a lot in the New Testament, where the writer of the New Testament will quote an Old Testament verse from the Greek version of the Bible, the Septuagint, and sometimes he'll even paraphrase that verse. That's why if you were to look this up and read it in Habakkuk, it would read a little bit differently. But it's interesting because he says, he who is coming will come and not tarry, where Habakkuk is actually talking about the vision that God gives. God gives a vision that he wants Habakkuk to write down and he's basically saying, this will come, and it won't tell you, the, the fulfillment of the vision. But the author of Hebrews says, no, it's Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of that vision. He's the object of our faith. He says, now the just shall live by faith, but if anybody draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. In other words, what he's saying, okay, look, this is your present. This is, this is where you are right now. Right now, what God's calling you to is have lives that are characterized by endurance you guys saw Finding Dory. Anybody watch that yet? It's a cute little movie. Okay, who saw Finding Nemo? Okay, Finding Dory is the same thing. Sorry. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Too late. But the truth is, the message works. It's true. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. That's what you have to do. This is what God's calling you to do. He's saying, listen, just keep swimming. Just keep going. Just keep keep trusting Yeah but trusting Jesus means I have to say no to myself and it's hard Yeah I know Jesus said no to himself so that you could be saved Yeah but trusting Jesus means I have to think of others as better than myself Yeah I know Jesus saw you as more valuable than his own life Yeah but Yeah but I might die Yeah Jesus did die and what happened three days later, he was resurrected and you will be too. Just keep trusting. That's what he's saying for their present. And look what he says about their future. In verse 39 he says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the souls. You know what their future is? He, he, I love the way he says this. He didn't say, so don't draw back, but do this. He like, identifies them as these kind of people. Here's how we are. We, he says to them, you, me, we're the same. We are those who aren't going to walk away from God. We're going to press into God. And what's going to happen? We're going to have the salvation of our souls. We're going to see him face to face. We're going to know what we are created to know and to be. That's our future. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter that believers are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Kept by the power of God. You might be here today going, I don't have any more endurance, John. I know what you're saying is true, but I don't have any more endurance. I can't take another step. Guess what? It's God's power that keeps you. Trust Him. Just don't quit.